Welcome to the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives. Welcome to the Global CISO Forum podcast. I'm your host, Amber Pedroncelli, coming to you live from my uh, closet. Actually, of course, not live. This is a podcast. But uh, yeah, set up here again in my little closet studio. And today on the show, we have Dick Wilkinson. He is the CTO at the New Mexico Supreme Court, which is exciting because I'm also in New Mexico and it's cool to to have a CISO um, here in Albuquerque, or I suppose probably in Santa Fe, um, talking to us about information security. So really excited to have a, a hometown guy on the show today. Welcome, Dick. Good morning, Amber. Um, yeah, well, I am actually based here in Albuquerque, but I do uh, work in Santa Fe and I split time between the two. So it's uh, it's great to be here and, and I'm very happy to to speak with you this morning. Yeah, excited to have you. Um, so, you know, looking over your resume, I want to give our listeners a feel for for who you are, how you got in cybersecurity. Um, and then I'd like to talk about, because you used to be the CISO for the New Mexico Supreme Court, and now you're the CTO. So I definitely want to touch on that as well. But let's start with, how did you get into cybersecurity? Um, well, uh, I joined the Army uh, when I was 18, and I picked my job based on where the school that I had to go to was going to be located. And the job that I picked was Pensacola, Florida, and that brought me into the signals intelligence world. And um, I found my first assignment to be the National Security Agency up at Fort Meade. I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with that. Mm -hmm. And within a year of joining the Army, I was sitting in the basement of the NSA. And uh, I think the, you know, I won't say the rest is history because it was 20 years of work. But uh, through that time, um, I had a, a variety of experiences in the Army. Uh, they're all, you know, of course, intelligence focused. Uh, I became a warrant officer in the Army, and that was my uh, career track, really, for a long time, about 15 years. And that uh, put me in a place where I had technology was the uh, most important thing in my career, and succeeding in that space was the uh, what the Army needed me to do. So being able to do intelligence and meet that with cybersecurity was a, a great sort of stepping off point for me and to continue to develop my career. I'd say about six years ago, I was brought here in Albuquerque to Kirtland Air Force Base. And when I showed up, they said, hey, we really need you to be the cybersecurity expert for our organization. So I started to look for certifications and ways to get trained. And that sort of led me into where we're at now. You know, seeking that really direct path of cybersecurity um, knowledge and work was exciting to me. And, and I've been doing it for, I'd say, about eight years that I'm really focused on the security work. Very cool. Um, yeah, that, that it's not an unusual path, obviously, into cybersecurity, you know, starting in the military. But um, I don't know. With, uh, from a year, starting at a year and then being in the base with the NSA, I don't know how how usual or unusual that is, but it sounds sounds exceptional to me. So <laughs> it sounds very cool. Um, I def Go ahead. I definitely felt like I had a uh, you know it was a culture shock for sure. <laughs> you know to go from being a, a essentially a kid in high school to the the basement of the NSA is um, yeah it's it's different than what you usually do when you're 19 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real different yeah. from what I was doing. So <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Um, 
And then you came to New Mexico. I just, I just love that. You know, we were kind of a small state and uh, not a lot of CISOs here because um, there aren't a lot of corporate headquarters here. So it's, uh, it's cool. It's cool to have you here. Um, so then tell sure. me how you made it to the, um, your job at the Supreme Court. Uh, well, as you said, I came to New Mexico, and um, I, I was uh, dedicated to staying here after we arrived. My family really enjoyed it, and I saw that there was a really robust tech landscape here in New Mexico, and I felt confident that a career after the Army or the military was um, definitely an option to stay here, and I knew that there would be opportunities for me to get good work in security or IT in the local economy. I searched out, um, you know, some friends and some mentors in the local uh, IT landscape and asked for some help. And all signs just pointed towards, you know, I think you're going to want a state government job or I think you're going to want to be involved in this, this kind of part of the security landscape. And so I'd say my mentors and my coaches sort of pushed me into this is where you probably fit best and can have the best impact on cybersecurity in New Mexico, both at the state level and even in the kind of commercial and economic level. And, and I agreed with them. So I took on the role of the chief information security officer for the judicial branch of the state as I retired from the Army. And I was really, really proud of that opportunity and happy to take that work on. And I did that for the first year that I was in the position that I currently hold now. Um, but really, my first year was the information security officer and um, just trying to mature the policies and the business practices around how security was being done in the courts and throughout the judicial branch of the state. So, okay. I've never talked to a CISO in the, the judicial branch of any state. So <laughs> I have questions. Um, obviously sure. there's a lot of information that needs protecting. I mean, a lot of that is private. Um, what are the biggest challenges in that kind of role? Well, um, I think, you know, it's not that much different from what any other CISO has to on their plate. Um, your employees are still, uh, you know, your biggest threat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the outside agencies of, of hackers and advanced persistent threats are there. Um, but you still have to worry about who's just who's logging into my system every day. And I definitely think that that challenge is, um, can never be understated. So uh, not that, I mean, I, I love my employees. They're super on board with all the policies I've put out and with all the help that I ask them to contribute to our better security profile. I mean, they're really, they really care about it. Uh, but at the same time, it's challenging. Um, we have about 2,000 people. How do you communicate with those 2,000 people and convince them that, you know, that one click could be the one that, makes us a headline instead of a successful organization. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely hard. It's a it's a tough challenge. Are are the judges challenging to work with? Like are they open to it or does it depend? Um, you know, in any organization, your senior folks um and all CISOs understand this, you you have to have a a slightly different approach to the people who do have authority or or can um kind of rebuff your policies. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the judiciary, the judges do do hold some level of authority to where, where they can say, you know, I just don't think that's going to help me do my job better. And, they, you know, they have some room to move there. 
mm-hmm. not the same as other employees um, as, as anyone else in another organization. So, yeah, I have a few hundred employees that could say, you know, no, thank you. I don't I don't think that's going to help me do my job. But luckily, I'll say they all understand that New Mexico doesn't want to be a headline. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have that, you know, ransomware story out there. And they don't want their court to be shut down for two or three weeks because we have to come in and replace every computer. Mm-hmm. So those those things motivate them. I don't use, you know, fear or bad situations to motivate our employees, but they read the headlines and they understand that this stuff is serious. And so I think that um, surprisingly, for most of your listeners, judges are actually very much on board with what we ask them to do. And they're probably oftentimes more cooperative than even some other staff because they see the sensitivity and the importance of the work that we're doing and the information that we're trying to protect. That's really good to hear. Um, Okay. So you moved from CISO to CTO. Tell me about that transition. What did you learn? What did, what advice do you have to CISOs now, you know, kind of being on the technology side? Um, How did that happen? Yes, that was uh, definitely not a step that everyone takes, mm-hmm. and it for me was just a unique opportunity. Um, I I definitely am a security focused um, professional, I guess, and in the IT space, security is what I'm most passionate about, or what motivates me, <clears throat> and I feel like the overall industry needs to really put the most effort into. So that's why I sought that as my career choice out, you know, directly out of the military. The organization, however, um, just the opportunity was there that our last, um, it was a chief information officer previously, and we have a um, oversight committee. And when that person stepped down, the oversight committee said, let's shift the focus of this from CIO to CTO, Mm -hmm. and let's create this as a new position. And I saw that as a, that was motivating to me because that meant that the oversight committee was, was getting it. You know, they understood this is not just, um, I don't know, information is generic or even IT seems generic. Let's call it technology. Let's look at what really makes the courts work better and what makes the work accessible to the public. And technology is the crux in those two um, ideas or conversations. And when the uh, position was advertised as that, I said, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do and this interests me and I feel like it's um, the right place to, to step up and make that transition um, because it was really a results-focused um, sort of want from the oversight committee, from the courts, from the Supreme Court. They said, you know, we really need someone who's focused on how is technology going to make our lives better as judges and the public's lives better as citizens that need access to the courts. And that struck every chord with me. So I, I just was really motivated to try out for the position and I was very thankful that it worked out. That's cool. Yeah. I, I've always wondered about CIO and when that would sort of go by the wayside, like information, it's not really what they do, but yeah, cool that CTO is, is your title now. So what have you, I mean, I know you've done technology jobs before, but what do you, is there anything that you look back on now that you were doing as CISO and understand differently now that you're on the, on the technology side or any lessons learned? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> every day is a lesson learned for me right now. Um, I've only, you know, made this crossover um, within the last few months. And uh, every time that I have to think about budget, people, the needs of the other people in the C-suite, the needs of the courts, the needs of the justices, those things expand how technology supports those needs. And uh, it's just so much more of a scope than a security position. Mm-hmm. But me, I get to bring that inherent security mindset to the CTO position. And so what we've really done is just doubled our worth. I've, hi- I've hired another CISO. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we have a team of two is the way I see it. Yes, I'm the CTO, but my CISO is there and we work together hand in hand. You know, every situation, every idea, every problem, we cross it together and we make sure that we're we are connected. And there was even some talk at, at certain times where the CISO might be an independent body outside of the IT department or an independent um, organization mm-hmm. so that they could audit or look into us and, and even have an oversight role. And when I was in that position, I said, you know what, I don't think it's necessary. And I and I'm sure some of your listeners might cringe when they hear that and they they want that um, higher seat at the table or. They want to try for um, some level of autonomy. Um, And I agree that sometimes security officers need that. Security practitioners need that. But in our organization, that just wasn't necessary. We have enough checks and balances. We have enough um, opportunities to appeal that if there's ever there's a place where my security officer doesn't agree with me and we don't see eye to eye, we can ask for our oversight to, to step in and and sort of settle the argument. So far, of course, in the last few months, that's not been an issue. And, and uh, I've definitely hired somebody that I see as, um, you know, on the same sort of uh, page as me and that has the same objectives and outcomes as me. But if that's ever not the case, we have a lot of opportunity to appeal those concerns. And being outside the security role for me has been a huge eye opener and I have learned so much about how IT impacts the organization that I just never understood before. And the value that IT and with security being built into IT can bring is just um, sometimes it's, it's immeasurable. And for us, especially in the courts and especially in COVID, IT and security has been, uh, you know, un, unreplaceable over the last four or five months to keep things going and to keep our government open and working. Yeah. Oh, man. Challenges. All right. So you mentioned that when you were a CISO, you tried not to use fear to motivate your employees to comply with various things. And um, that brings us kind of to your talk that you're going to give at the Global CISO Forum, October 5th through 7th. Uh, There'll be a registration link in the show notes. Um, It is open to director level and above information security practitioners. It's all online this year. Um, And Dick is one of our key speakers. Um, so your, your talk is about not using FUD uh, to motivate people, the kinder, gentler CISO um, version. Tell us a little bit about what people are going to learn during that talk. Well, uh, I will say that I, I latched on that pretty quickly as the idea of my talk because I saw that my year in that CISO role for the courts, um, when I used fear, I saw pushback when I used that um, sort of 
uh, I'd say, a gray area to try and make people do something, they always call you out. When you can present really direct um, information to people, it's based on truth. It's based on real concerns that they should have. It's not fear. It's notification, and that's different. And uh, I learned that when you can talk to people and say, look, this situation can really be, you know, what happens to you. And this person is just like you and you make it personal to them. It's totally different than just saying bad things happen. Your computer is scary and you could get hacked. Mm -hmm. It's completely different when you bring it to that personal level. And so I really tried my best in that year to always relate to the employee exactly where they were at and always relate to them that the actions and the behaviors that they take are as, as important in the computer as it is anywhere else. Um, and, you know, just trying to expand the scope of let's not worry about security just inside the computer. Let's worry about why we need to protect this information. Let's worry about what the public expects us to do in the courts. And if we can understand that together, then there's, we don't have to use fear as a motivator. We're going to use that importance and that um, value of protecting the information as the motivator, and we're going to build our policies on that. Cool. Yeah, I like it. That's refreshing. Um, just, you know, we've had a lot of talks over the years uh, about, you know, how do you use a breach to your advantage? You know, when, when somebody else gets breached, how do you bring that into your user awareness campaign? Or how do you get the C-suite to cough up money? Um, after a, a breach of a similar company, where do you draw the line with that kind of thing? Like if a if say that a another state, you know, their judiciary got got hacked, would you talk about that, or would you not want to use that because it might be too much fud? Uh, no, I use that um, mm -hmm. actually. I don't even consider that fud. Um, I don't consider that fear in a way that is um, this could happen to you. Yes. But it's um, that's the that's the the first two lines of the communication. Something bad happened. This could happen to you, and that's it. And mm -hmm. now it's let's talk about what you do every day already that prevents this from happening, and what can you do that you don't already do that will make it even harder for the bad guys to break our system, to make us a headline, to throw ransomware on you. And so the FUD is just the first line, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, hey, something bad. Now let's talk about how it doesn't happen to us. And, and, and I feel like bringing that on board mentality instead of the don't be the, the loser, essentially, which is what a lot of um, FUD kind of campaigns are, is don't be the guy that ruins it for everybody. I don't want to use that terminology. I want to be the you should be the person every day that is preventing this stuff from happening. And it just shifts the dynamic and it shifts the conversation to all the positive things that you already do every day that make your security awareness better, that make your security behavior better, that protect our network, it protects your personal information, and it protects everybody. So, yeah, I think the onboard mentality instead of the FUD mentality is just it's, it's easier to promote. And people understand it and react to it better. Ten times over, I feel like. Yeah, and looking at your talk um, description, your abstract, it looks like you apply this both to talking to the C-suite as well as your end-user awareness programs. 
Um, tell me a little bit about how your strategy differs with that. Well, um, unfortunately for the end user piece, it, it really is um, sometimes you're driving the point of don't be the person who clicks the link. Don't be the person who ruins it for everybody else. And that is a little bit fear motivated. Um, and I try, you know, I try myself now, even as a CTO and of course, my new security officer, we try to escape that. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes that's, that's one, how the training programs are built. That's how the resources that you have to communicate with 2000 people are built. Um, but when you have that more one-on-one conversation with the C-suite or with other senior managers, or in my case, chief judges and chief executives that run courthouses, you can have a one-on-one conversation with them that, and you can step out of that generic um, sort of fear model and you can say to them, hey, this is the cost that you're already spending on security programs in your court. This is the cost that we as a state spend on X, Y, and Z to protect our networks. And so you change the topic to return on investment. You change the topic to money well spent is um, always valuable. An ounce of prevention is worth 10 pounds of ransomware. <laughs> and you, you motivate them that way so that the return on investment, while they'll never see it, security is always invisible. And a really good security program is almost completely invisible. But you have to constantly raise your hand and say, this money is very well spent. And examples sometimes are valuable, but sometimes you just have to change the language and say, this is how much we spend on it, and this is how much it has protected you. And those conversations differ from person to person, for sure. Yeah, ROI conversations can can be tricky, I hear. Um, well, I'm really looking forward to your talk. I think it sounds super interesting and very refreshing, and I can't wait to hear it. Um, and if you can't wait to hear it, don't forget to register for the Global CISO Forum. The registration link will be in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you so much, Dick, for coming on the show. And I can't wait to hear from you in October. I appreciate it very much. I'm looking forward to the opportunity. Um, it was great talking to you today, Amber. Um, and this was a great experience and uh, my first podcast. And oh, I'll yay. Say, <laughs> block check. Um, and I'm really excited about the event as well. All right. Thank you, Dick. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives.